to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So the Optimal Marketing Organization, you just spoke about this, you said. I did. I spoke to some talented marketers at the Association of Accounting Marketing. Nice. So this is a big and broad topic. And I think we've actually talked about, we kind of plan to do a couple of podcasts around it. And, and I think what I want to first explore is just this notion of two schools of thought, you know, so this idea that there are two different schools of, I guess, two schools of marketing in a professional services firm. So, you know, let's just spend some time on that, I guess. So like, I don't know, maybe we talk about each school individually or kind of both of them together. I don't know, but you tell me, how do we start that? I think it probably makes sense to talk about them together and juxtapose certain attributes of each. And every time I talk about this, and you've heard me say this before, Jason, is I give the caveat that life is not pure black and white. So these are simplification for emphasis, but they are archetypal, if you will, in in describing marketing organizations that I have seen over my 20 plus years in firms of all sizes, all disciplines, all industries and organizational structures and cultures. Yeah, no, I always like to say it's it's not binary, right? It's not a zero or a one, but there's something in between. You know, a question just popped into my head, but before we actually get into the two schools of thought, I'm curious, do you think that you know, a firm identifying its, you know, building its marketing structure towards one school or the other, regardless of what the schools are. Is it purposeful? Do you think firms are purposeful about this or do they just sort of fall into a marketing model almost circumstantially or by accident? Wow, that's what a great setup. I don't know why I started with that, but I'm just curious. It is a great question. I think the answer is they default into one of the two schools. To me, it's it's kind of similar to, you know, the purpose of leadership that I've talked about and that we create a world around us as we see the world. And I think partners create a marketing organization around them as they interpret or perceive what marketing is and what it should or should not do. And that comes from any number of places. But, you know, if you look at a history of a firm, you know, whether it's a, a startup of one individual or a couple of individuals or a small team, they begin, you know, specializing in, in doing work and they can't afford a lot of the overhead functions. And, you know, the partners, the founders are just doing everything. And then they kind of incrementally add capacity and it just kind of builds out from there. I think very seldom do firms purposefully add almost any function to their firm other than we just got to get this work done today. All right. So that's a good that's a good segue. Then let's talk about the two schools as you define them. And so maybe just a quick overview of each school. And then let's talk about kind of the maybe the similarities and differences between each. Sure. So the first school is a, what I would call a more common and traditional school. I call it the productivity school. It's called productivity because its main focus is on keeping utilization of highly paid partners high in its basic economics. It's much more cost effective to have 
you know, a junior marketing person making, you know, $50, $60 an hour do this work versus a partner billing out for $300, $400, $500 an hour. And its whole purpose is just to keep utilization high so that the partners and the line can be serving clients and doing business development. You know, it's funny. I may have just, you know, threaded for a whole different podcast. So I don't necessarily want you to comment on this at great length right now. But is the objective of, of high utilization for a senior partner even healthy? I mean, I would actually argue that utilization for a senior partner should be extremely low. That, yes. that's, that's a poor use of, their, of them at all. You know, but again, I guess I guess that that, that makes sense that if the, if the school of marketing is productivity, then this cultural expectation of the firm is productivity. I remember years ago, I'll, I'll take a quick tangent and then pull us back. I was talking to this firm. It's, it was a it was sort of a, a small engineering practice, a little bit more specialized than that. And I asked the owner, I said, "Well, what's your utilization goal for your people?" And he said, "100 percent." The expectation is 100 percent. Yes, I'm like they don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> on their own ever take a vacation like what are you talking about so, no no it's 100 percent. and i just remember i just kind of shook my head and went, i don't see how that's even humanly possible how any firm could ever yeah you know, it's an impossible goal back on track so first school is the productivity school go keep going i'm sorry jeff yeah, so it's focused on utilization and i understand that mindset and it is a deep-seated mindset in the professional services space and it is the first or second primary measure, performance measure in every firm. In my mind, it's archaic. And the time for the billable hour is long past. But as you said, that'll be another podcast. So that brings us to the second school. The second school is what I call the growth school. And the purpose of this school is to maximize profitable growth. What is it going to take for us to get from point A to point B? And that assumes that we've got point B correct about where we want to go. But it looks to marketing for strategic impact in achieving the maximized profitable growth. And there are many elements that go into what it takes to maximize profitable growth. Not just profit, profitable growth. So one, I guess, clarifying question would be, okay, so I've always felt that I like to use the phrase that marketing is upside down in these firms. And, and it, was, it was because of, of the, 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 the design that most firms being designed around the productivity school and kind of my inclination that they should really be designed around a growth school. And I've always felt that marketing should be defining what point B looks like where point B is, and that marketing should be taking a leadership role in defining that for the firm versus in a productivity school, logically, the, the senior partners are going to define point B and just push it down the, into the marketing team to execute on. Am I, do you agree with that or no? I agree wholeheartedly with that. The reason that happens and we talked about this in one of our early podcasts, why your marketer doesn't understand your firm's business. And there's a bifurcation between understanding the technical dimension of the business and the business of the business. And, yeah. and I think that's where the divide really takes place. Partners think because they have their arms around the technical dimension, whatever that 
is architecture, accounting, tax, strategy, IT. They should be the people setting that direction. Sometimes that's true, but most times it's not because they take a technical view of it, not a business growth view of it. Yes, I totally agree. So now let me ask a follow-on question then. So I have been sort of, I guess, of the opinion for some time that the growth school is just inherently better than say the productivity school. I'm like, you know, it just doesn't, it just seems to me like it, it's, it's more what marketing is supposed to be in, in a company. And, you know, the productivity school is more like a sales support function. Is one of these models inherently better or worse? <laughs> I have my bias. I have my preference. But no, one is not better than the other because it really is dictated by a number of, of attributes. Probably most importantly is culture and how the group of partners perceive marketing and where they're starting from in terms of reputation, the maturity of the market they're going after, their brand relevance, you know, how dynamic that market is in terms of its services and solutions. You know, if it's a pretty staid industry, limited growth, the brands are well established, very easy to just maintain, you know, a productivity perspective. But I think, and we've talked about this multiple times around, you know, the, the threat of SaaS to professional services, disintermediation, professional services, that I just don't think that's going to hold true for very long. Meaning that there's not that many spaces left in the marketplace where steady is, is going to be a reality. There's going to be a, enough disruption coming from enough places that firms are going to have to be a lot more strategic about their growth goals and sort of marketing driven. Yeah. And the sooner they get going, the better, because, yeah. you know, it's not even over the horizon. AI and, and, and blockchain in particular are going to decimate whole portions of, you know, of the counting and legal spaces. So, and we've already seen what's happening in IT, you know, just from cloud. So. I think most firms should be moving towards a, a growth school quickly. Okay. So what, I mean, one of the assumptions I've made and tell me if this is an incorrect assumption is that productivity oriented firm actually structures and places marketing in a different place within the organization than a growth oriented firm. Meaning that I know one of the things that I first noticed when I first started working with professional services firms 20 odd years ago was that in my mind, firms consistently put marketing in the wrong place. So marketing was sort of a, was often a support function that rolls up to a chief administrative officer. Maybe it rolls up to an HR lead. It's sort of grouped in with HR and IT as this like, you know, as this expense to be managed and, and cost to be reduced. And my assumption is that, and of course, I, that's why I've kind of felt it's upside down. I feel like it's in the wrong place. I feel like marketing should be at the, you know, at the, at the table with the senior leaders of the firm and should have, you know, there should be a CMO, right? That, that is setting the growth agenda. Is that a true statement that, that, that there's a relationship between the school, I guess, the, the philosophy on marketing and the organizational structure for it? Yes, very much so. And I think it is born out of the objective set for each school. You know, the objective for the productivity school, again, goes back to consultant utilization and productivity. What can we take off 
of that consultant to make them, you know, higher in terms of, of utilization. And utilization is normally, you know, serving client billable hour. And yeah. most firms look at that in terms of just build brand awareness and then people will go out and, and sell under it. And marketing is seen as a very discrete function. Whereas in the growth school, I think there's a totally different view of the client and the client experience where the objective is revenue growth and, you know, it's share of wallet, it's penetration. But that only comes when you look across the entire client experience. You know, so, you know, growth school is going to be focused on client loyalty and how can we enhance client loyalty? How can we more deeply penetrate an existing client? So that's additional services or solutions. So it's more innovation focused. But all three of those come together, you know, kind of marketing, business development and client service into a continuous cycle called client experience. And that's the strategic difference, I think, between the productivity school and the growth school. One looks at marketing as a discrete function that says, give me a lead or build my brand. And the other looks at marketing as let's grow the legacy of the firm. Let's deepen the loyalty we have with our clients and by extension, accelerate our growth. The growth is the result of doing those other things really well. Oh, that's really interesting. So so what you're saying is that the growth-oriented firm, the the growth-oriented marketer, isn't necessarily first and foremost prioritizing growth of the top line or growth of the bottom line. They're prioritizing growth of client loyalty. Is that what you're saying? That revenue and profit growth follows delivering on a better client experience, delivering on a more innovative product set. Um, and so, you know, that the notion of a growth school isn't that, well, we're going to set an you know, aggressive growth plan. It's more, we're going to look to grow our firm in these ways. I'm glad that you point that out, Jason, because I think that is a very good observation is it is more holistic. It, it isn't just growth for growth's sake. And it's, and I said this at the beginning that it's about profitable growth, not just pursuing profit, or it's not just about growth. There are very cheap and easy ways to grow faster, but less profitably. And there's ways to grow more profitably, but slower. It's the combination of the two that is the holy grail, I think, for most partners is to grow profitably and at that same time, you know, enhancing the reputation of the firm, building its legacy and all of that, you know, at the same time is enhancing the culture and the success of the individuals in it as well. It's just a more holistic approach to growth and it just doesn't create these arbitrary functional silos inside out. It's always outside in. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because when I first read your ebook, the Optimal Marketing Organization, and we first started talking about this, I always thought of it as like in the productivity school, growth is sort of constrained by the networks of the partners, right? The, you know, the whole, because the whole business is sort of hinged on a group of partners having, doing relational marketing, right? So in marketing is a support function to that. Mm-hmm. So your growth is constrained by who you know, right? Yep. And, and how many hours in a day? 
Yeah. And I kind of felt like the growth school was like setting just more of an, a more aggressive growth path saying, well, we want 30% growth, 50% growth. You know, we want something more. I love what you just opened the door to say, no, it's not necessarily that. It's not necessarily about the scale of growth, though it might be. It's more about the relationship you want your firm to have to the marketplace, the relationship you want your firm to have clients, the relationship you want your firm to have to profit. Now, what kind of question slash comment is, in your experience, do firms even, can they really wrap their head around profitability that well? Like, do they even really know which lines of business are, are more profitable or less profitable than others? <laughs> or is that kind of a fuzzy black box? Because in my experience, it's a fuzzy black box. They don't really know. They're like, uh, I think this one's more profitable. I'm pretty sure that's not, but we don't really know. I do think most firms have a handle on that yeah. to some degree. At least it's the 80-20 perspective. I think they know the core cost because it is people and kind of real estate and overhead allocations. But I, th I think there is room for more detailed type of costing out around those things. But that's probably another podcast. Yeah, it's Twitter. And, and every firm differs in its sophistication. It really does. And its systems and its focus on those things. Some firms don't want to get hung up on, you know, some KPI that can create dysfunctional behavior. And I think that's pretty prudent. But there's others that, you know, really have their hands on the levers that impact client satisfaction and, you know, their consultant satisfaction. And those are the ones I think that do it best. And we'll probably talk about that in an upcoming podcast on <laughs> metrics. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think that we've envisioned a series around this topic. And so I think that there's definitely space to have that dialogue. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I, I think, you know, maybe the big question to answer, because you hinted at this briefly, you said, okay. I think that with all of the pressures that are coming at firms in the marketplace, that they need to get from the productivity school to the growth school quickly. Like they, they need to get over on this other side of the arc. And there's multiple barriers there. There's cultural barriers. There's organizational structure barriers that they need to think through. There's certainly talent barriers. There's mindset barriers. How do they do it? What are the leaps that they have to take? You know, what's the roadmap for success or failure to make that type of transition in five minutes or less? Yeah, <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> well, I would say the majority of companies and firms don't successfully make that leap because they don't see a need to make that leap. They're perfectly okay. content with where they are. So I think there needs to be a couple of catalysts that have to take place. I think one significant one would be to unfetter the firm's overarching performance measure from utilization in the billable hour. And that would probably be preceded by more value-based pricing. So that would be one of those things that would come first. The mindset would need to change around marketing. Is it a function that has this discrete outcome it's trying to achieve, i.e. get me a lead or build brand awareness? I think that silo needs to be knocked down and it needs to be more holistic around client experience 
and looked at in terms of acquiring, serving, and retaining clients as if it's all one continuous cycle where everyone overlaps, learns, serves, and commits. And that there is a performance measure that integrates all three of those. Because if you're not serving your clients, you're not retaining them well, then we all know that you have a big hole that you have to dig out of before you even get to start growing because you're just replacing. And if you keep acquiring these clients, but you're not onboarding them effectively, you're not serving them effectively, then that creates other problems as as well. So I think changing that mindset of the silos is second. The third would be, okay, what skills does it take to play in a client experience model of acquiring, serving, and retaining, you know, the market? And for me, those are all about a strategic mindset, leadership, client centricity, operational strength, digital I think capability is really important there too, because that's going to give you the scale to address the growth once you've unfettered from the billable hour. Now, I want to go on that mindset of unfettering from the billable hour for a second and to understand what you're saying. So their time is, an, is a cost input, right? So it's an input to define how much it costs a firm to deliver on a service or deliver on a product to a client. And Price, I think I think the argument you're making is price is unfettered from that. Price should be based on value. Mm-hmm. That ultimately what a client pays the firm for its services is a function of the value to the client, not a function of the cost of delivery from the firm. Are you going as far to say that firms should be walking away from sort of time tracking? They should not be even, you know, tracking their time? Or are you just saying that they need to get off of this sort of myopic focus on utilization, that that it's okay to track time because it helps you understand cost structures? (laughs) I I think it's, it's both. I definitely think they need to get off of the time and material. Clients don't like it. It discourages real integration and collaboration and relationship building. I think. And I've seen this myself as CMO working with agencies, right? I don't want to make phone calls. I don't want to make this change or, you know, do, you know, this part of this initiative because I feel like I'm going to be nickeled and dime. And I understand that mindset, but as a client, I just don't want involved in that. As a business person, I'm asking an agency to give me a number for a result that I want. We negotiate around that result and that price. And then we manage each side of that for ourselves. And if there's a big disparity, we come together as partners and try to understand why and learn from it so that we both win. So I, I think that's that's mostly what I'm I'm getting at. But I also I, I see the importance of understanding utilization as a cost input, but it just to me, creates so many dysfunctional follow-ons that I would get rid of it. I would rather see a metric like revenue per employee and maybe those costs allocated in terms of acquire, serve, and retain and create a totally different dynamic. Because when you look at revenue per employee and you break those out by acquire, serve, and retain, marketing and business development take on a totally different perspective. Client service takes on a 
totally different perspective. And then finance, HR, and legal really are either compliance functions or you get them thinking in ways that they can do business much differently with clients, whether that's accounts receivables or master service agreements. That makes the acquisition serving and retaining that much better. But it it just changes the mix. Okay. So if I'm going to try to make a transition, I'm going to say as a firm leader that I want to move my firm in the direction of becoming a growth-oriented marketing model. I have a growth orientation towards marketing. First, I have to tackle head-on the the cultural barrier around kind of sort of focus on utilization. And I forget the next two. What were the next two? <laughs> utilization. And, and when I say utilization, you need to rethink your performance measures in general. Yes. It doesn't necessarily have to be revenue per employee, there are many other metrics that you can look at. Two, you need to rethink your functional silos in in yep. terms of what you're asking them to do holistically, not in these bifurcated, that's not my job, that's your job that we see in, in every day in marketing and sales, for example. And then I think third, is you need a different set of skills in order to do that. And I think overall, those skills are designed at a different type of impact. And it's a strategic impact, whether that is something like brand relevance or some loyalty measure, net promoter scores, or market share, or any number of more strategic outcomes other than a number of brochures produced or webinars held. It is the, the fundamental difference between the two schools is the growth school is about strategic impact. The productivity school is about activity. Get this stuff done for me so I don't have to do it. And like I tell my kids when they try to clean the house or <laughs> do yard work or something, when they say, I did it. It's not the action, it's the result. And the growth school is looking for a strategic result. I can't think of a better place to stop. So let's stop there. And then next time we get back together, I think we ought to really go deeper into sort of the skills and capabilities underlying each school. That sounds good. All right, man. Thanks, Jason. All right, see you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.